My aim was to build up more and more that strength, hard and joyless, which had come to me when I heard the God's sentence, by learning, fighting, and laboring to drive all the woman out of me. Sometimes at night, if the wind howled or the rain fell, there would leap upon me, like water from a bursting dam, a great and anguished wonder, whether Psyche was alive and where she was on such a night, and whether hard wives of peasants were turning her, cold and famished, from their door. But then, after an hour or so of weeping and writhing and calling out upon the gods, I would set to and rebuild the dam. I was pointing out last time that the Christian life is simply a process of having your natural self changed into a Christ self. Well, welcome back to the Inklings Variety Hour. C.S. Lewis wrote Till We Have Faces Quickly in collaboration with his wife, Joy Davidman, publishing it in 1956. But he'd really been developing it for for 35 years, according to him, uh, since his atheist undergraduate days. A reworking of the Cupid and Psyche myth from the point of view of one of Psyche's evil sisters. It had been written as an unfinished narrative poem. In these early versions, Oriol's anger at the gods is vindicated and the gods are proven to be unjust. But C.S. Lewis's Christianity and success as a writer of prose ultimately changed both the genre of the poem and its outcome. After publication, Lewis considered it his finest novel, and we agree, by the way. Uh, (laughs) This novel is notable for its interiority. Lewis explores the psychology of the Queen of Gloam from her childhood as an ugly princess until the loss of her favorite sister, Psyche. Later, lifting up the veil just a bit to allow us to see her fate and the age to come. Uh, I'm Chris Pipkin, um, assistant professor of English at Emmanuel College, and I have with me, yeah, um, who are who are you, you folks? <laughs> it's been it's a while since we've done awkward. this. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Megan, you should go because I feel like it's such a treat that you are back with us Mm -hmm. and we're just rejoicing. Oh, I, I am rejoicing just as much as the both of you. Um, but yes, I am Megan Logsdon and I am a paralegal by day and, uh, in, in, in line to hopefully one day get ordained as a deacon by night. And I'm super excited to be back here. <laughs> Not Deacon. Um, that's going to be really fun. Yeah, it is going to be fun. <laughs> We're, I'm going to have a show and everything. It'll be great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I was picturing a, a comic book, but. Um, yeah, oh, well, or, or that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my name is Annika Smith and I am a lawyer based in D.C. And that's that's about all I have to say about that. All right. All right. Great. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess it's great. Uh, <laughs> but, um, the part that we read at the top, why, uh, Annika, did you, did you choose that? Um, yeah. So I, I started as I read, um, because it was so clearly, okay, this is how I deal with my issues. <laughs> my, my aim is to build up more strength and we see what 
what begins to happen after the great crisis of of her encounter with Psyche and with the God of the Mountain and discovering the God of the Mountain was real and um, Psyche was forced to betray him by Orwell um, and what that had done to Psyche and all of Psyche's happiness that Psyche was now banished and wandering the, the earth um, and that Orwell's happiness also must likewise have been crushed. And so she's she's grieving that, but trying to forget it um, by building up that strength hard and joyless. And I love how, how antithetical it is to what she associates with weakness in uh, giving in to the gods um, or giving in to joy in particular, that contrasting with her ride up the mountain where she felt joy beckoning to her, delight beckoning to her, and she hardened her heart. This whole, these two chapters are such a good um, illustration of, of what that means, like the, the outcome of that decision and her continual decision to harden her heart and to throw herself into learning, fighting, laboring, to drive all the woman out of me. And the woman being the, the weaker part that might be receptive, that might be inherently receptive um, and softer and inclined to, to forgive or to confess or to relent and repent. Um, and then the, the image also of the water from a bursting dam, the great and anguished wonder um, that she couldn't keep back uh, that would come regardless of all that learning and fighting and laboring. Um, but then she would go and build the dam back up. She would set to and, and rebuild it. And I, I just, I find that whole process fascinating. And I, I think it's, it's just what the, the rest of her, her life ends up doing, um, being this, this struggle against that tide of her grief and this um, often temporarily very successful, right, um, ability to, to hold it at bay and to be what she considers strong and hard and joyless. Yeah, yeah. And, and she's not only using um, Bardia, right, to, to help her do this with, with the fencing lesson, she's also using the fox, right? She says she's, she's a lot less she feels a lot less close to the fox than she has been right in the, in the past. Um, but she's trying to get all of the knowledge out of him that, that she possibly can, right. All of this like sort of Greek um, natural philosophy about the uh, soul originating in the blood and, um, and, and all of these other, you know, sort of wonderful bits of wisdom um, reminds me a little bit of Monty Python where King Arthur's like, this new, this new learning of yours amazes me, Bedivere. Tell me again how sheep splatters can be employed to prevent earthquakes. You know, but I'm sure I'm sure some of that is really good stuff that she's learning from the fox. Um, but but yeah, she's she's learning about soils, airs, governments of cities. Um, I wanted hard things now to pile up knowledge, mm. right? And then mm. and then it gets to the part with with Bardia, you know, and so she's learning uh, these sort of hard skills that are gonna help her. Uh, because as far as she's concerned, it's her against the world and against the gods. Um, so she's fortifying herself as much as she possibly can. 
but yeah, uh, it's a it's a very pragmatic approach to dealing with grief. Yeah. Um, rather than instead of healthily processing it and and going over in her mind, you know what 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 exactly she has lost in psyche. She knows she's lost psyche, but instead of I guess coming to terms with that and then her um, I guess her her misuse of love. Instead, she just sort of throws herself into these physical and mental pursuits mm-hmm. rather than spiritual pursuits. And, and what's fascinating um, about, about these chapters to me because of that is how much happens and so quickly in this. Um, and I, I remember, yeah, when I, when I was reading through this, uh, I was kind of like, oh, well, this seems mostly to be first her encounter with her with the fox, right? Because in earlier chapters, like a conversation with the fox could fill up like a whole, a whole chapter, right? Because there's so much to ponder. Um, and there's such a, there's such a depth to her experience there and the way that it informs and shapes her life, right? Or one chapter devoted to a conversation with Psyche. But no, we have a conversation with the fox, the, the king getting sick. We have at the very end of the chapter, Trunia suddenly, suddenly coming, right? We have uh, what looks like a new era in, in relations between the, the crown and the priest, right? Um, and, and, and Ungit, right? So all of these things are happening so quickly and she's not really dwelling on them because she's just focusing on being competent um, at, you know, at, at, at this and not focusing on the sort of deep pain that she feels. So there's, there's, a, there's a way in which we're kind of um, avoiding thinking about the this real issue of psyche that that really sort of dominates her personality and dominates her her life or has for so long and this real joy that she's had that she's now just kind of walled herself off from and she's she's living life and she's doing it very well but there's a um, there's a kind of disconnectedness um, that's that's setting in here Um, and she's a jerk to the fox now um, uh, a a little bit more anyway Um, uh, when when she comes back from her you know meeting with psyche and she doesn't want to tell the fox you know what she's done yeah the words came fiercely without my will and in my father's own voice that i was ashamed and the the fox's meekness in responding it's so sweet and so ironic uh, that that whole conversation with the fox where he's trying to understand what happened with psyche because he knew the plan and he uh, did not approve, but he had, you know, we parted to let you sleep. <laughs> My respect for the fox grew so much in this chapter um, yeah. that he, he knows she's keeping the secret, but unlike her, he is not going to manipulate or threaten emotionally or otherwise um, to get her to give it up. He is going to respect her and and leave her be yeah i think the the irony of um did you think i would try to press or conjure it out of you never that friends must be free Mm. my tormenting you to find it would build a worse barrier between us than you're hiding it someday but you must obey the god within you not the god within me there do not weep i shall not cease to love you if you have a hundred secrets I just, I find him such a, 
such a sympathetic character. I mean, so clearly blind in his own ways, um, in his own like cultural uh, biases, <laughs> but he's he is so much better formed than Psyche, or than, not than Psyche, bless my heart, than Orwell, um, which is surprising because he was in charge of her formation. You know, he's, he's very principled, like, Mm -hmm. which is again, the most admirable thing about him is like, even when faced with these new circumstances, this new information, he's still very much like, I, you know, I, I love Psyche, but I, we can't, we can't go about getting her back in this, in this way. It would, it wouldn't be right. And then ironically enough, I, the line that you read, um, my tormenting you to find it would build a worse barrier between us than you're hiding it. Um, there still is a barrier that goes up between them, right. a physical one uh, in the veil, and then in uh, and then just a a mental spiritual kind of one. Whereas she still wants him for knowledge, like like Chris said, but there's less of that like familial kind of bond. I think. Yeah, yeah it's it's so interesting that it's in response to this conversation with the fox that she has. Um, after um what she does to psyche um that's that's the point at which she decides to always go veiled right i had taken off while i ate the veil i had worn all day now i greatly wished i had it on right and then um Mm -hmm. because because he can see that she's keeping something from him you know I, i now determined that i would go always veiled i have kept this rule within doors and without ever since it is a sort of treaty made with my ugliness so this decision that's that's so important right important even to the title of the book till we have faces um and it's it's interesting that we're getting to this part of the book right now just as we're able to begin taking off our yeah taking off our uh our our masks right and then having faces Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. she's able to um kind of have power over people as a as a veiled person yeah the connection too with her ugliness and with she wasn't born knowing she was ugly there'd been a time in childhood when i didn't yet know i was ugly and i read that immediately think um who who told you you were naked um mm-hmm. like it's it's that the shame of her ugliness uh or deformity or or whatever it is now i chose to be veiled that she sees it as a treaty with her ugliness and not with what seems obvious to us upon this reading of okay the the fox is questioning you you can't answer his questions and are uncomfortable because he would make it seem that i had lied um and so after this, you are going to cut yourself off from him. You're going to wear a veil and you're not going to allow anyone in. Like I would associate that with defensiveness and with shame. And instead she's like, well, it's a treaty I made with my ugliness. And that revealing her own sin or her own how she could have been wrong and what happened to Psyche, what she did, the choices she made and connecting that to her ugliness is very interesting to me. Yeah. She's, um, she's choosing to not be vulnerable. Right. Right. Um, And, and not reveal either her weakness or her fault. 
um, not not her ugliness or her fault, right? Her um, that that she's the veil is is a kind of symbol that she wears of the way that she's going to queen it now. Yeah, I think she comes to that realization later um, in the conversation with between Bardia and Arnon when they're talking about there being no quarrel between the queen and Ungit and uh, Bardia basically saying that uh, this queen can lead the armies of Gloom out uh, in battle. And uh, she says, I saw Arnam looking at me hard and I think my veil served me better than the boldest countenance in the world, maybe better than beauty would have done. Mm -hmm. And so I think that at that moment she realizes, oh, this is, this could be a tool to help me as, as she puts a queen it, which yeah. is a fun phrase i like yeah. and and we also see her using it um to to pretty good effect when she has this confrontation with her father over it mm-hmm. right this kind of last conversation that they sort of have with him in his right mind that we hear about right when he when um you know the king's in a bad mood because hunting did not go well um and he lost his favorite dog and he didn't kill either lions that they killed and uh, as soon as he saw me veiled, he shouted, Now, girl, what's this? Hung your curtains up, eh? Were you afraid we'd be dazzled by our beauty? Take off that frippery. He, she just says, It's hard if I'm to be scolded both for my face and for hiding it. And so he's working himself into one of these white rages, right? Um, Do you begin to sit your wits against mine? Yes, said I, no louder than he, but very clearly. Um, so this, uh, this just great moment of standing mm-hmm. up against the king and then he just kind of backs down and is like, oh you're like all women women talk 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 you talk the moon out of the sky if a man mm-hmm. had listened to you so he yeah. changes the subject right doesn't doesn't stab her doesn't beat her anything uh he never struck me and i never feared him again and from that day i never gave back an inch before him it's so interesting to me like this also is connected to, to her the transforming moment on the mountain mm-hmm. right like it was then that I had first found what that night on the mountain had done for me. No one who had seen and heard the God could much fear this roaring old King. And so her, her perspective has shifted from encountering true majesty and true power and authority. And that's, I think also a beginning as, as the cause of why she's veiled in the, the lie. It's also the beginning of her her courage and a change in what matters, even though the encounter very obviously did not go well for Orwal or for Psyche. But yeah. it's also one of these things that it sets up this pattern, right? Where on one level, we are like, yeah, go Oriol. You know, she's fine. <laughs> it's, you know, it's one of those like Oh gosh, I don't. I, I mean, I know. I know this has analogs in in other media, like when uh, in a superhero origin story, for example. You know, when when mm. someone's been beaten down their whole lives and finally they get power and they're standing up for themselves, and we're like, "Yeah, that's awesome." But what I love about this book is it takes into account sort of the other half of that equation that you can't just win in this way when it's against other people uh, without sacrificing some like aspect of yourself and your vulnerability um, Mm. and and your capacity for joy and your capacity to, if, if she's vulnerable, she can't do this with the King. Right. And she can't, um, she can't do a lot of these amazing things that, that she does. So there's this odd 
there's this odd way in which, um, you know, she's, she's obviously very admirable and she's obviously sort of found her vocation, something that she's really good at. Um, but she's also sort of, you know, and it, and it says as much here, you know, burying her real self in that so that we're not just impressed with her, but we're also sort of grieved for her at the same time. Yeah. Um, which, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, which is, but mostly with the encounter with the king, we're just like, yeah. I'm like really <laughs> impressed. So, There's um, too like a, an interesting element almost of uh, an exchange that happened uh she lost psyche but in a in at least in an indirect way the god of the mountain did give her this confidence this ability to stand up to to her father and sort of embrace that um that side of her uh whether that was intentional on lewis's part or not but i or you all doesn't uh recognize that or doesn't directly acknowledge that um she would never say okay well i had to sacrifice psyche in order to get you know to get where i am today but it's (laughs) it's just it's interesting that that in a way psyche did end up being a a sacrifice on multiple levels Mm. yeah it's it's i that just came to me and it's, it's interesting to think about but again don't know if that was actually an intention of lewis's but um yeah, I think I do think there's an element of that in here. Yeah, that's really good. Um, she has more, you know, more than the king did, sacrificed psyche uh, because she had a hold on psyche's heart in a way that, you know, the king the king did not. And yeah, I think you're right. She's getting a kind of power from it, and it's a power that that comes at the cost of a whole lot of pain, um, you know, and and, and also just wounds that sort of are festering throughout this and then that she's just sort of like she's shoving it under the rug yeah it's just so it's it's so remarkable how lewis makes her so admirable and so pitiable at the same time yeah i think i think especially across these two chapters like i was the most engrossed in oriwal's character development because it's fascinating i mean i i think she is one of lewis's best characters from fiction and and you know that could be as we've said, Joy's influence, I'm sure um, she helped out. But um, but yeah, it's it's just fascinating to see that sort of emotional and psychological journey that she is mm-hmm. going on. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other like, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a single other character in Lewis that works to this you know, has the same inner life um and interiority i mean there are there are really fun characters like reaper cheap you know or or puddle glum or you know the lady in perilandra you know and, and jane and mark studdick so yeah yeah kind of, kind of a also little kind of, more interiority but yeah, yeah. um they're, but they're again i i feel like that's i feel like that was charles williams influenced yeah <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, and i was gonna say uh uh oh gosh what's uh weston from paralandra mm. he was just interesting because that's that was the point in paralandra where i went okay i'm in i'm into this now when he showed up on the island and started doing his thing yeah <laughs> i yeah. would know specifically what was it he uh he ate a glass bottle <laughs> that's what it was yeah and i was like whoa now <laughs> what yeah. is going on here and so then it just it just went uphill from there so <laughs> Yeah, I think Orwell's, um, her relationship to the God of the Mountain, I mean, coming from, uh, like, after seeing him 
I, I could never fear the king. Mm-hmm. Like, like the, she no longer fears her father. And she also no longer really feel like she's ready for death because she thinks it's coming. Um, but as day came after day and nothing happened, I began to see at first very unwillingly that I might be doomed to live and even to live an unchanged life somewhere longer. Um, and then she, she goes to Psyche's room and she finds some verses uh, that Psyche wrote as a hymn to the God of the mountain. These I burned. I did not choose that any of that part of her should remain. Again, her desire to control the story, even the story she tells herself about Psyche and how she remembers Psyche when she's young and not any of the things she wore in that last year that was so hard, but all the things when she was still happy and still mine. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I locked the door and put a seal on it, uh, Psyche's room. And as well as I could, I locked a door in my mind. Unless I were to go mad, I must put away all thoughts of her, save those that went back to her first happy years. I never spoke of her. If my women mentioned her name, I bade them be silent. If the fox mentioned it, I was silent myself and led him to other things. There was less comfort than of old in being with the fox. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that line uh, from when she was still happy and still Mm -hmm. mine, Mm-hmm. Just like that just hits so, so hard because again, it's, it's her, I mean, she's not acknowledging any part that she played in the loss of psyche in her own life. It's very much just like, mm-hmm. I know I'm still, she's mine or, or I would still want her to be mine if she were here. Um, so there's really no maturation on that front, yeah. but well, yeah. And we saw psyche happy, right? We saw right. her fulfilled all her longings and joys fulfilled as the wife, the bride of the God of the mountain and Orwell could not stand it because that happiness had no connection to her. Yep. It's very much, um, yeah, that, uh, control aspect, Mm -hmm. which she would call love, but isn't quite what love is. So she goes on being called to the pillar room from time to time to advise the king. Somebody else, uh, the king gets battered to be Redival's jailer instead of her, you know, so that she can serve him in the pillar room. And then one day it's very cold. The steps are icy. The king falls, hurts his leg very badly and um, gets really ill. And it looks like he's, it looks like he's done for. And to make, matters even more interesting he is now scared to death of oriol and sees something in her take her away take away that one with the veil don't let her torture me i know who she is i know sees something in her that 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 he's just unspeakably afraid of um and so she can't be in the same room with him um um, and and she's kind of like okay well I guess um, this may be how it all starts that we're, you know, driven out of the kingdom on my father's death. And, and the Fox is like, don't, you know, don't be scared of her. Right. Master said the Fox, it is only the princess Oriole, your daughter. I, so she tells you, the King would say, but I know better. Wasn't she using red hot iron on my leg all night? I know who she is. 
Aye, 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 guards, Bardia, Oriol, Bata, take her away. There's this dynamic again, right, where the fox is insisting that everyone is exactly who they are, but you have the king sort of conflating and associating people with different people, right? Um, and it's, it's, it's in some ways similar to what went on when they were talking about uh, the shadow brute versus the mm. you know, versus mm. the god, right? Where where the old priest was like the gods flow in and out of each other, like you know I forget what rivers or something like that, right? Um, and nothing mm. uh, that's that's clear about them can be said truly. It seems to me anyway. Here, the king has some sort of insight. He is delusional and his mind is not clear, but he's seeing something that the fox is not seeing about. Mm. Um, you know, and, and Oriole is going to come to kind of the same conclusion, spoiler, when she gets really old as well. Um, and, and her mind starts sort of drifting away, right? And, and she actually sees some things more clearly as a result of that. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that there's, there's a kind of, to be Williamsian again, um, you know, there's, there's a kind of, I don't know, would you call it substitution here? Uh, where she can, yeah. she actually can be someone else well, well who is the someone else she can be like uh is it i think i know where you're going but on my first reading i actually thought more of how she could be like unget herself um which i think we've talked about before of how she devoured all in the end yeah um well she's both right i right. mean again spoilers <laughs> But there's a there's a way in which the king is being punished for sacrificing Psyche mm-hmm. here, but he's also she's playing the role that's been played in her life by Ungit. She's playing that role in her father's life. Either either he views her as Ungit or something as bad, right? Um, that that he's terrified of. Well, I I also wondered. Um... I mean, because this is where just a couple lines down when she thinks this is how it will begin, there'll be a new world in gloom. And if I get off with my life, I should be driven out. I too shall be a psyche, right? Like she, she is seeing how the God's words may be fulfilled. And I wondered also if the King's fear, I mean, often we fear those we have cruelly wronged, right? Um, and I wonder also if the king wasn't haunted by visions of psyche and what she rightfully, what, what vengeance she could take upon him. Yeah. That's, that's how I read it. That's, I was thinking he was seeing psyche, which um, would, would help because after, it's after this point that Orwell has, has bailed herself. And so, that too aids in right. him not actually recognizing her. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I, I, I was thinking about this too, Chris. I think there may be an element of coherence in the back of Lewis's mind while he was writing this. I don't know if it's, it's explicit, but maybe, you know, maybe in his like subconscious or something. Um, it's interesting to me that uh, the way she phrases it is is I too shall be a psyche, not, she doesn't say I will mm-hmm. be psyche, which is what the God of the mountain told her. Yep, exactly. She will be psyche. <laughs> um, and I, to me, that kind of, 
it, it almost makes Psyche into more of a, she's like, she's no longer a person now. She is an archetype. She's a type, right? Yeah, yeah. she's an archetype. Um, yeah, and so and so it's it's almost possible, not just for Oriwal, but for anybody to kind of inhabit that the thing that Psyche signifies, um, whatever that might be. Um, yeah. 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 Well, that, I mean, so, so I think to that extent that you could call it Williamsian, um, like I'm, I think about, uh, I think about like the end of the place of the lion. Uh-huh. Uh, is that what you, is that where you're going? No, I, that's, that's what I was just thinking as you were, oh, okay. you know, as you were getting, I, I was well, like, oh yeah. Archetype. Uh, archetypes, um, <laughs> platonic ideals. Um, but <laughs> no, but specifically the end because it ends with Anthony. Yeah. It's Anthony. Yeah. Uh, basically becoming like a stand-in for adam like Hmm. he is a descendant of adam and so he names all of the the archetypes like their names and gets them to it gets them to go away um and 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 the and the veil separate goes back to separating you know the realm of the evangelicals that mm. that is the word that he uses, but it's not. It's it's not how we would think of the use of evangelical. Um, the- we'll call it the the archetypes, the the and the angels. Um, that but that realm from human eyes, and so the veil goes back down. So there is that idea in in the place of the lion of veils and and um, separation of man from the mm. from the realm of the gods, in a sense. So so I, that could be at play uh it's possible that lewis had that in the back of his mind but um yeah no it's it's interesting to sort of think about that but yeah i was i was on the i was on the same track that you were on yeah 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 we've talked a lot about whether or not psyche is a real person (laughs) because it's so it's so yeah it's it's confusing um uh but uh yeah um Oriwal um, is talking with the new priest. He's a, you know, um, a younger guy with a lot of, you know, a lot less sort of traditional ideas in his head. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, um, he's he also has medical training and he believes that the king will probably die as a result of the sickness um and uh um and he and the fox uh, he knows the fox's real first name which is an interesting touch yeah Uh, i'm not sure what um it it does at least show that they're way more simpatico than the fox and the old priest were right and he's he thinks a little bit more like a greek than uh than the uh old priest did um which is which I just kind of want to know the backstory there. And did Fox like mentor Arnhem, you know, and uh, what, what exactly, yeah, um, is the deal with all that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, um, it's, it's interesting to see the, you know, church and state as it were getting along pretty well at, at this mm-hmm. point, right. Instead of being at loggerheads um, and they're striking bargains and um, uh, suddenly, you know, Bardia says, you know, it's our good fortune that there's no case of quarrel, cause of quarrel between the queen and Ungit, right. Which is this um, it's 
they're calling her the queen suddenly when the king is not yet dead. Um, and also the, how wonderfully ironic that line is. You know, there's no cause of quarrel between the queen and Unget when that's been the kind of the, <laughs> the theme of the entire book. Um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and two, just it, yeah, because they're car- they're going ahead and calling her the queen. The king's not dead, but two also, uh, Arnhem is also acting like the priest, and the priest is not yet dead either. He's just dying, so it's just interesting how they're both kind of stepping into those roles, even though mm-hmm. technically yeah. they're not that yet. But um, right, and, yeah. and the the. Arnim even kind of sinisterly says, you know, the priest is dying at last. If I have any skill, he'll not last five days. I, I thought that was so weird too. Poisoning <laughs> him or like, I, oh, I, I do think, think so. Uh, if I have any skill. It's, cause yes. it's, it's a weirdly worded. It's, it's, it's a weird way to say that. Cause normally you would think if I have any skill, he'll, he'll make it or, you know, or not. Right, he'll not yeah. last five days. And yeah. Maybe he's giving him like a perfect dose of whatever narcotic to help, like no, to help things act like to ease the pain, but also to oh, hasten yeah, yeah. the death yeah. and and yeah. the shutting down of the organs. Who knows? Well, I would I would just imagine that if I have any skill, he'll not last five days. Is just like, um. I could do everything possible for him and he still won't last five days. So if I, um, I don't think that's, a. I that don't is think, not the most rational reading of that text. I don't think he's confessing to killing the pre well, not with Bardia there. Right. I mean, we know Bardia is a God fearing man. He's not going to just hear somebody say, but, hey, but, I'm knocking off the, the main priest. Of no, all- but we also know like this is this is in negotiation. This is right. He and the fox and Bardia are talking together. Um, and he's saying, you know, oh, the house of Ungets in the very same plight as the king's house. Right. Like, again, as Megan pointed out, drawing those parallels of we have someone dying, things are really uncertain and it would be good. You know, we should be of one mind that Ungit and the palace should be of one mind at such a moment. Um, very necessary. No one will rise against us both. Right. And that's when Bardia springs like, Hey, good thing. There's no quarrel between the King, the queen. Wow. Even I'm doing it. And Ungit. <laughs> so I, I do, I do think like, uh, they are in each other's confidences at this point, right? And and Bardia is a, a God-fearing man, but that doesn't mean he's a, like, whatever, this priest is the best thing that happened to Gloam-fearing man, right? Like, he's, he's, everyone's, this is just, like, real politic coming, coming through, and I kind of like it. Um, I, I do, I do think the plain reading of if I have any skill, he won't last five days is like, I have some responsibility for this. <laughs> hmm. I better be careful that you don't end up on my list of enemies, Annika. <laughs> <laughs> if I have any skill, swallows upon swallows. <laughs> <laughs> That's her weapon of choice. 
swallows. Yeah. I don't know. I feel uh, yeah. Uh, we we could just go back and forth uh, about it. But, Sorry. Uh, uh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. How about this? Maybe saying if if he didn't have any skill, then then the priest wouldn't would only last like a day. And so since he has skill, he will. He will last no no more than five days. That's what I. That's because British people use knots in yes, a weird not way. Weird. Yes. Um, I was thinking about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, if they if they use their language well, they'll not say <laughs> what seems most obvious the thing to say. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I so, don't know. so that makes sense, everybody, right? We we got it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I I still think Arnhem is like. I think he is. This this passage is supposed to show us what about Arnhem? It's supposed to show us that he is scheming and cunning, but not in to Bardia or to the fox. Not in. Um, unseemly or or ways that they just can't stand like there's nothing actually repulsive about arnhem right it's just that he's um he's opportunistic right he's using the death of the priest to his advantage and and he also is seeing okay like here's the opening with the palace i need to position myself they need to position themselves i'm going to make this alliance and it's going to be for everyone's benefit um Everyone being, of course, Arnhem and now Orwell. Yeah, I mean, it could be. That's a that's a pretty good case for that. I, I was I was just kind of like, oh man, he's not that much of a jerk that he'd try to try to kill somebody um, by uh, you know real politic or not. But because like Orwell doesn't knock off the king or anything, right? Like no. But when we get to the no, end, like, <laughs> so okay, okay. So here's the question then. Ooh. If if we take Annika's reading, should we suspect Arnhem to be at the like behind the king's untimely death as well? He was he was at the top of the stairs. Break? Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. So so I don't think I don't think that Arnhem went so far as to instruct the, as to instruct the serving boys to you know throw the water on the stairs so so that the king would fall. But once this conversation happens um is it is it possible that um you know arnhem's ministrations are not helping the king to get any better um and he's actually uh behind this entire sort of you know next generation taking over gloom um, i mean maybe not behind all of it but i there's a long history of physicians under the cloak of, hey, I'm going to heal you, actually killing people um, on purpose. And I'm, I'm not anti-doctor. <laughs> Here we go. This <laughs> comes out really weird. Um, but I mean, but that's even, that's in George MacDonald in um, uh, The Princess and, is it The Princess is and it- the Goblin? Or The Princess and Curdie? Curdie. The princess and Curdie, yeah. Um, where the princess's father, the Curdie felt the hands of the the physician that was attending him, and and they were like these. Um, I can't 
can't remember if they, if they were scaly, like a snake or if they were talons, like it was maybe like a bird of prey. Um, and he, he knew that the, the physician was actually poisoning. And then he waited because of course there was all this control and, and then they saw, yeah, at night, the, the physician was giving, was dosing the King with, with poison rather than with medicine. Um, and the King got better as they kept the poison from him. And, you know, it's, it's not, I'm not saying that's what's happening here. And, and maybe we don't need to know, but I, I don't think it's far-fetched to, to wonder at, at, um, Arnhem's role and maybe he's the queen maker in gloom. Yeah. At last does is sinister. It has a, yeah. A, you know, uh, the priest is dying at last. Um, <laughs> right yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no i could i could definitely see that yeah so anyway they're making this cons- conspiracy right to uh not necessarily to off their elders um although possibly but uh <laughs> but certainly to present a united front at the moment when their power is most vulnerable and someone could swoop and take it from them um and so they do a little backroom dealing right um and uh um, there's, uh, um, and, and suddenly Oriwell just knows exactly what to do, you know, in, in each case, she's got like the opposite of imposter syndrome. Um, it's like automatically she, um, she knows exactly what a queen should do in this case. Right. And, and what would be smart. Um, she arranges to give, uh, the crumbles, um, an area, of, of land that the crown and the priest had always been uh, quarreling over uh, to to Ungit in exchange for Ungit's uh, temple guard being, um, you know, belonging to the crown. Um, and they'll hash out the details about payment later. Um, and uh, um, yeah, uh, and they're, they're, the fox and Barty are just like super impressed, right? Um, when Arnhem has to go back to attend to the to the uh to the king well done daughter whispered the fox long live the queen whispered bardia then they both followed followed arnhem um and uh and and that's when she hears the sound of psyche weeping and she thinks maybe it's psyche and she goes outside where the moon is shining brightly uh calling out psyche and istra and psyche you know, so you have this like moment where she's strong as the queen and then this moment right. of weakness and vulnerability. And then suddenly um, she meets Trunia um, and that takes us to um, that takes us to chapter 17. Did either of you get uh, slapstick vibes when reading this whole intro with um, Trunia, especially the part where he... Um, after she tells him, "Listen, you gotta, you, you're only gonna come with us if you're a prisoner," and he's like, "Okay, good night." And then he says he darted away as if he were not weary at all, <laughs> though I had heard weariness in his voice, and ran as one who's used to it. But that flight was his undoing. I could have told him where the old millstone lay. He fell sprawling, made to leap up again with wonderful quickness, then gave a sharp hiss of pain, struggled, cursed, and was still, sprained if not broken. He said plague on the god that invented man's ankle well you may call your spears queen prisoner it is and that prison leads to my brother's hangman i just i don't know i was envisioning it in my head and i just i 
I, I almost heard Looney Tunes noises for a second because <laughs> it was it was just I don't know it was funny I love that well especially with the the sort of flirting he does with her yes yeah, yeah. um it, it's just such a different tone going from like her mm-hmm. wow a uh, queen well that that's not going to sweeten the bitterness of my my water but at least it will it might help shore up the dam too oh the the merriment um mm-hmm. one who never let a pretty girl go without a kiss <laughs> and she's <laughs> what, what what is this um does not compute <laughs> yeah yeah it's so it's such a great shift yeah yeah well he's uh, i mean he balances sort of this this charm with the kind of ability to laugh at himself right which mm-hmm. i guess is, is is really part of charming part of charm yeah, right. yeah. um and uh seems seems you know fairly you know kind, kind of silly in some places but also fairly admirable um mm-hmm. and, and good humored uh he he reminds me sort of of errol flynn um in uh in in this just kind of you know able able to laugh at his enemies able to laugh at himself just kind of having a great time even when he's not you know um and uh also dashingly telling women well with a voice as beautiful as yours the face must be beautiful as well yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah but uh yeah it's a he's just another great character in a book full of great characters and he's able to sort of give us a sense of who he is and you know with only a few very brief interactions he's flirting with her uh he's you know letting the coins jingle in his hand when he's like take me to the king so that she so that (laughs) you know she knows that he can pay her for her trouble and then she says unless the king's health men suddenly i am the queen said i gave a low whistle and laughed if that's so queen he said i've played the fool to admiration then it's your suppliant i am suppliant for a few nights it may only be one lodging and protection i am true neo fars you know even when he ends up making himself look foolish he's not really he doesn't really miss a beat um which is right uh, yeah kind of kind of a fun sort of um, you know, gallant figure who I'm sure would have been up to dueling his brother if, uh, you know, his dang ankle hadn't been broken. Yeah, it's yeah. a nice little bit of levity after all the heaviness that's come before. So, so this is another situation in which, you know, not, not only is she about to be queened, right? Not only is she about to be the queen, but she's, uh, you know, it, it looks like things are going to work out fine with her house in the house of unget now that we've got this you know new likely lad um in 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 the place of the priest um and now things are looking promising in terms of uh you know in in terms of fars if she can get this guy on the throne um so everything's sort of shaping up and when they talk about it you know she's she's told in the pillar room okay argon of fars trunia's brother who's who's having this conflict with him over over the throne has with it with his troops um crossed the border and now lies but 10 miles away how quickly we learn to queen or king it yesterday i should have cared little how many aliens and arms crossed our borders tonight it was it was if someone had struck me in the face right so she's taking on this mantle of authority and 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 uh queenship right um uh, immediately and uh has has this idea to um because they don't they don't have 
sufficient army, right? And nobody likes Argon. And, and so she has this idea of a duel. On three things, we're all of one mind. Again, I mean, this is, of course, very like Lewis, but the 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 logic and the the wisdom and her ability to be like one this two this three this leading to it's like she's working out the syllogism and then then a new thought as if from nowhere came scalding hot into my head bardia said i what is prince argan worth as a swordsman and just the 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 beauty of being let into her mind which is of course beauty of lewis's mind um but but having that uh even just that process of of working through okay here are the facts and what they mean um and what how they constrain us and it was working through all of that that led to the sudden scalding hot thought which i i love that quick little flash yeah again um just you know we we get the experience of being Oriole, not only the grieved, you know, lonely right. sister, mm-hmm. but also Oriole, the brilliant tactician, right? Um, right. And, and strategist and, and, uh, and fighter. Uh, yeah, she's, she's, you know, asking, asking Bardia, um, you know, what do you think of a duel? You know, and Bardia's like, oh, that could, that could work. What if we, what if we ask him to duel somebody that he would just put him beneath all contempt if he refused like a woman um and fox is like what are you talking about what a woman you know and, and so we have this this great you know not only is the fox just kind of being greek categorically against women fighting right but also he doesn't want to lose the closest thing he has to a daughter right mm-hmm. um so there's there's just kind of humor to it but then there's also uh like she is kind of playing fast and loose with her life without any regard for the fact that he would be losing the only person he really deeply cares about. And, yeah. yeah. And the, the cruelty that Orwell shows, I mean, not, maybe not cruelty is too much, but the, again, how she hardens her heart and, and also how she cannot see beyond her own pain as the Fox begs her, you know, it's your life, your life. First, my home and freedom gone, then Psyche, now you. Will you not leave one leaf on this old tree? I could see right into his heart, for I knew he now implored me with the same anguish I had felt when I implored Psyche. The tears that stood in my eyes behind my veil were tears of pity for myself more than for him. I did not let them fall. My mind's made up, I said. Um, and that, oh, that just guts me, um, for, for the Fox's sake. Uh, and, and also it's interesting because this, this is the right call in this situation. I mean, for, um, for Gloam, for Orwell, uh, like she, she does have this higher duty that she has to submit to, even if it weren't, um, just that she she really doesn't care to live also uh and she sees this as possibly being what the god sent to dispatch her right and and to to end her life so she can finally receive that punishment um but do it in a blaze of glory uh just connecting to that the um the way in which this 
you know, novel so adeptly explores the soul and whole being of someone who maybe in a slightly more shallow age, we might simply be told to unreservedly admire, um, you know, based on how good she is at doing stuff. And she's very, very good. But um, there's this whole vulnerable part of herself that we're also getting that she's using these things to, um, to, to shield herself from, you know, she's like, uh, you know, she's a warrior princess, right? Essentially, right? A warrior queen, right? <laughs> Except, except she's, she's, she's more than that. Cause she's a, she's a human being with this deep loss, you know, that, that even her abilities are helping her not deal with that deep loss. Right. And right. the better that she gets at those things, the more she can avoid that thing, which is at the center of her. Um, right. And that weakness and that vulnerability. Right. But I think it's, it's just so, it's so well drawn uh, this this sort of strong woman figure as someone who is also just fully human um, mm-hmm. and 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 has these dimensions to her that a lot of times I think in in a lot of like you know uh, TV film and even book depictions we don't get to the same extent um, um, but you know maybe um, I'm just yeah watching the wrong shows. No, I, I think that's right. And I think it's also, we, we sympathize with her on so many levels and it's so clear how wrong she is, right? Um, and how unjust and unfair it is that when the fox goes to her with the same, the same feelings and the same arguments that she used against Psyche, the answer isn't like, oh, I was right then, or, oh, I was wrong then. <laughs> it's not consistent and principled. It's no, um, he's the fox and I'm Orwell and I'm choosing myself. Um, and that it's, yeah, it just guts me. I think, I think it's so devastating. Um, and we get so many of these moments when we, we do admire her. And as we're lifted up with her nobility and her courage and her, and her wisdom, it, it I mean, like you said, her, her competence here, yeah. uh, her ability to find solutions and be so creative. Uh, and, and then it's also in the same page. Wow. Her heartlessness. Um, and, and also how she's still so focused on her own self, um, that she can't see the Fox's grief. She can't see what she does to other people in making these choices and in kind of running over them with her own will. Um, yeah. And it, it's interesting. Uh, She's clearly meant to be queen, right? Like she's, she's just good at it. Um, and, um, you know, one, one thing I was thinking about is it's really common for us, um, especially, you know, because um, we have so many choices in the modern world in ways that they just didn't. Um, uh, but it's, it's, it's so common for us to think of our vocation as part of the sort of journey that we take to fulfillment as a person, right? That, mm-hmm. um, that 
uh, finding the right vocation will help us become who we truly are. Um, and certainly I think there's truth to that. Um, and, and obviously she's meant to be queen, but in this instance, um, and probably in others, it can be a way for us to defer um, dealing with God, right? To, to, to sort of shield ourselves from those parts of us that are more human and that are more vulnerable. Um, and, and she's being used to accomplish amazing things for her people here. I'm like, there's no question of that. But it's also allowing her to avoid sort of going on the most important journey of opening herself up to the gods uh, until, until she writes this book at the end of her life. I wonder too, so Chris, it sounds like you're saying that she's, by losing herself in her vocation, by throwing herself fully into it, um, she's avoiding facing the gods, facing what happened at the encounter with the God of the mountain, right? And I think that's true. I also wonder if she would have, if such an encounter for her would have been possible without going through this process, right? Of, of becoming queen, of growing and maturing. I mean, even the, the gifts that are brought out of her here, as she says, you know, like, oh, how quickly we learned to, to king or queen it is in that bit you read, um, you know, a day ago or a week ago, um, I wouldn't have cared basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Like she was so wrapped up in her own small world of psyche and the Fox um, that she didn't see. She knew things were happening in Gloam and she might have cared on some level. But now that it's her responsibility, it's drawing, it's beginning to draw her out of herself at some level. And I think even though. Yeah, I just I wonder if it's necessary in the same way the the writing of this book is necessary to get her to face I mean because this is the unveiling right this is her letting us in as she's recounting what's supposed to be her accusation against the gods but it turns into um letting us in and and a confession right and a and a, a purging a purgation um and then eventually it becomes this him of adoration. And I, I don't know that that happens if she doesn't take this part as well, um, because she is so reflexively curved in upon psyche, like almost obsessively, right? But, but really curved in upon herself and, and what the things she loves, it's, it's in Curvatus and say, it's, it's loving the thing, not for its own sake, but everything for what they are for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think this begins to see becoming queen is what she needed in order to start being drawn out of things like Gloam has to exist, not just for her sake now. Right. But for, for Gloam's sake, because she's responsible for it. Um, and the sacrifice, even though it, it may be foolhardy to risk her life. It's also, it's showing that she cares about Gloam or Trunia or anyone here, at least on some level enough to, to wager her life for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's well said. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's such a funny, what, I mean, what I, you know, 
the best literature is always you can't just say hey this is the right. you know correct way you know she was she was wrong to do this and she was absolutely right to do this and uh, you know, it's 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 muddy like real life is right and right. You, you have a few moments where you're like yeah that was the right decision and you have a few moments where someone's admirable but at the moment when they're most admirable they can also be entirely blameworthy right and and mm -hmm. those things exist in tension in literature because they exist in tension in life and uh to some extent it's yeah well and and the same way um the the signs from the god right or from the gods that psyche oh my gosh bless my heart that Orwell, um she every time she's tempted right to see like oh maybe this is what the god's what we would see as the God sending her a sign, she also can interpret as this is what they're doing to lure me or to trick me, or uh, they can't be trusted, right? There's that ambiguity in all of it, which is also part of the mystery. Uh, Sorry, I did not mean to cut you off. No, that's absolutely right. But, but uh, yeah. Also, uh, just the, the sweet Bardia moment um, when he's so proud of her and he's revealing to the fox that, she wants to fight because she can, because I've trained her. Um, the gods never made anyone, man or woman, with a better natural gift for it. Oh, lady, lady, it's a thousand pities they didn't make you a man. He spoke it as kindly and heartily as could be, as if a man dashed a gallon of cold water in your broth and never doubted you'd like it all the better. Um, and I just love that. Barty is so so gallant and so clueless like he that his admiration is actually wounding her more keenly than he could ever know um yeah it's yeah. such a it's an exquisite moment you get such a great i mean they're they're just such great foils for each other the the fox and because the fox is like monstrous against all custom and nature and modesty right <laughs> um but at the same time he he mostly just doesn't when she when he finds out that it's her he mostly just doesn't yeah. want to lose her you know he's he's got that you know good old greek chauvinism going but he's also just you know uh, in in such pain should we read the um the passage where the queen a capital q arises um at, at the end of uh at the end of this chapter Kind yes. of close. Do it. Ever since Arnhem had said hours ago that the king was dying, there seemed to have been another woman acting and speaking in my place. Call her the queen. But Orwal was someone different, and now I was Orwal again. I wondered if this was how all princes felt. I looked back on the things the queen had done and wondered at them. Did that queen truly think she would kill Argon? I, Orwal, as I now saw, did not believe it. I was not even sure that I could fight him. I had never used sharps before. Nothing hung on my sham battles but the hope of pleasing my teacher. Not that that was a small thing to me either. How would it be if, when the day came, and the trumpets had blown and the swords were out, my courage failed me? I'd be the mockery of the whole world. I could see the shamed look on the fox's face and on Bardia's. I could hear them saying, and yet how bravely her sister went to the offering. How strange that she, who is so meek and gentle, should have been the brave one after all. 
And so she would be far above me in everything, in courage as well as in beauty, and in those eyes which the gods favored with sight of things invisible, and even in strength. I remember her grip when we had wrestled. She shall not, I said with my whole soul. Psyche, she's never had a sword in her hand in her life, never done a man's work in the pillar room, never understood, hardly heard of, affairs of state, a girl's life, a child's life. I asked myself suddenly, what was I thinking? Can it be my sickness coming back? I thought. For it began to be like those vile dreams I had had in my ravings when the cruel gods put into my mind the horrible, mad fancy that it was Psyche who was my enemy. Psyche, my enemy? She, my child, the very heart of my heart, whom I had wronged and ruined, for whose sake the gods were right to kill me? And now I saw my challenge to the prince quite differently. Of course he would kill me. He was the god's executioner. And this would be the best thing in the world, far better than some of the dooms I had looked for. All my life must now be a sandy waste. Who could have dared to hope it would be so short? And this accorded so well with all my daily thoughts since the god's sentence that now I now wondered, how I could have forgotten that sandy waste for the past few hours. It was queenship that had done it. All those decisions to make, coming pell-mell upon me without a breathing space, and so much hanging on each, all the speed, skill, peril, and dash of the game. I resolved that for the two days left to me, I'd queen it with the best of them. And if, by any chance, Argon didn't kill me, I'd queen it as long as the gods let me. It was not pride, the glitter of the name, that moved me, or not much. I was taking to queenship as a stricken man takes to the wine pot, or as a stricken woman, if she had beauty, might take to lovers. It was an art that left you no time to mope. If Orwa could vanish altogether into the queen, the gods would almost be cheated. Mm. man there's so much there um, oh wow also pell-mell again yes yeah, yeah. no may and i both we gave each like, other yes. a, a look when when we saw that uh, pell-mell yeah rushing oh no wrong 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 thing <laughs> i need to i need to look it up in the oed now um and uh yeah See if Tolkien out, was on that one. Yeah. Figure out yeah. why why people were using pell mell. Maybe another way in which Charles Williams was influencing <laughs> Lewis was his, <laughs> by his own word choice. Use of the <laughs> adverb pell mell. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's. I feel like Lewis just said everything that we were talking about for like an hour. In right. A very, like in like a paragraph. Um, oh. So. Um, yeah. So good. Can so here's the the thing about sickness coming back and the vile dreams um it's so interesting to me orwell connecting her her fever um when when psyche was being sacrificed and she couldn't go because she had the fever but she had had all the the dreams about her and and the fights with her um connecting that to to this now in her rage of jealousy and her raving um 
the way the sickness and the weakness reveals her heart and, and also the way that the King's sickness brings him to that thin place where he sees something happening with Orwell, as we talked about in the last chapter, right? Um, I, it's almost as if she is more, well, I think it is as if, not just as if, but she is more honest um, and more, more gets out uh, in that physical weakness and distraction, right? Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, he reinforces that, yeah, she's not, she's not attracted to being queen simply because of the the power and the state and the status that it gives her but that it it's it, it was an art that left you no time to mope yeah. it was too busy to be grieving or thinking about psyche um, or even the gods even though she does briefly think about the gods <laughs> she now thinks of the prince as the god's executioner um but but yeah in general she's able to push all of that to the side and just sort of lose herself in in her work um rather than yeah like like we've said deal with the deal with the gods deal with her own inner uh inner void almost Mm -hmm. yeah 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 which I, i think we've talked before um on this podcast about this weird dynamic of like we can be a lot of times really really good at the things that we don't care so much about um um you know because they can provide distraction from the heart you know our, our broken hearts that were broken by the things that we did very badly that we did care a lot about right like she she absolutely like psyche's the center of her life and because of that she's a fairly awful sister when it comes right down to it um you know i mean she she's she's good and you know in in a lot of ways and she clearly loves psyche but she's also um you know the people she cares most about um and, and especially psyche she does a poor job of looking out for but mm-hmm. she seems you know the 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 queen the the she cares about it as you know a drunkard cares about drink right um like like she's she's really um she's really competent at it and she lets that competence distract her but in some ways like that's really preferable to having someone like king trom right who really oh, yeah. about being yeah. a king but is a crappy king because right. he, he wants the pageantry <laughs> and he wants the adoration right and he wants everybody to say oh there goes you know that that king trom he's a great guy but oriel doesn't care about that um, and, it, and it and it makes and it makes her actually really good at it. All right, final thoughts about these two chapters. Um, um, yeah, just the uh, the the last confrontation with her father, the the noises um, and the terror she sees. This is so good. Mm. Um, the very underspoken. Um, drama like did he did he know me and think i came to murder him did he think i was psyche come back from the deadlands to bring him down there uh and then moving from the fear in his eyes um 
to what do the gods expect of us? Uh, my deliverance was now so near. Um, I'm looking again at him. Like she's, she's contemplating his death and her own death on the morrow. Right. And, and the question is what, what do the gods want from me? What do, what do they expect? Um, and then the comfort she takes and it's so understandable, but also really cruel, um, when she sees that his face is terrified, idiotic, almost an animal's face. So all rash, all rationality is left. Um, a thought of comfort came to me. Even if he lives, he will never have his mind again. I went back and slept soundly. It's just so good. Anyway, I get a thrill from the quality of this writing. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, like, uh, I, oh man, I almost said psyche here, but so you're starting to do it to me. And I go, uh, Oruwal, <laughs> uh, is almost also becoming archetypal in her own way here because of this question that she's asking, what do the gods expect of us? Mm-hmm. It's like, we, we are all Oriwal in the, in that right. moment. Um, cause we don't know what the gods expect of us necessarily. Um, yeah, it's, it's just interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it hits really hard that that question and it kind of just hangs in the air there um and she doesn't really go into it she just leaves it there and just says what do the gods expect of us yeah she can't answer it at least not right now (laughs) but yeah it's it's very yeah it's it's a very universal question yeah she moves she comforts herself by seeing her father and like okay like he's going crazy that's good um I will be queen and she throws herself back into the, the queening it. Right. Mm. Um, and that's to Chris's point. That's um, really intriguing. That escapism almost. Yeah. yeah. She doesn't really care about all the power that comes with being queen. Right. She cares about having power. She cares about the King not having power over her. Right. Right. And she cares about maybe it's it's being able to do this as a distraction from her own heartbreak, right? Doing something she's really good at in order to, um, um, yeah. But she she so desperately wants her father dead um, because because being able to do this is like freedom, right? Not so much because like I just can't wait to be queen, right? It's yeah. not a it's not a scar or Simba, Simba moment, right? It's a, uh, um, I, I've, I've got to um, be out from under this, you know, um, crazy old king. Yeah. And it's so like, it comes so close to her just like smushing a pillow over his face. Right. I mean, like, <laughs> like it, it it seems for a while that that's where, you know, that's what she's strongly tempted to do. Um, uh, but she can just trust to Arnhem. I was just, yeah. just going to say, right. just call in Arnhem. Right. <laughs> um, I'll take care of it. She doesn't have to get her hands dirty. It's like the, yeah. it's like the Kevorkian of Gloom. Uh, <laughs> or I guess Kevorkian didn't like kill other people for people. You just, uh, yeah. I mean, we're assuming everyone consented. The thing about assisted suicide is right. That's that's a yeah. question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And one listeners, which we will not go into um, <laughs> during this podcast, but one question that we will address. But stay tuned for. Is our, is wow. our ridiculous, ridiculous question of the week, which is this. If you were designing a sort of stereotypical gloamish um, attraction for Epcot Center, what sorts of characteristic gloamish cultural things would you put in it? Uh, what 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 kind of a um, what kind of a, a, a culture? Um, would this be what sorts of uh, what sorts of microaggressions can we commit against Gloom? Oh, definitely the, the the dog hunts. Um, yes, with yeah, the, with the lion. Yeah, the lion hunts. Yeah, with the no. dogs. Yeah. Also, yeah. I don't know how how kid friendly we have to keep this, but um, the Temple of Ungets. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's Disney, so I don't know if they would. So they go for that. They, they could be like animatronic, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. priestesses singing. It's a small world. Oh, <laughs> I don't. I don't want to know think, what those. I don't think so. Are doing doing human no. sacrifice? You no. know, you have a little yeah. animatronic. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, it could be like have they cleaned up Pirates of the Caribbean? Like when they're chasing the wenches, it could be yeah. like on it that be level. Like, there, the yeah, temple, right, like. Because it's still kid friendly. Because you don't quite know what's happening, right? But, but there are temple girls. Hey, yeah, with hey, their hey. wigs on. <laughs> yeah. And then what? What is it? The um, what's what's the altar or or the statue of Unget or whatever that they always have to pour blood on? Kind of like a, a <laughs> it's slab like a or a slab of yeah 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 like yeah that could be in there. Yeah. Just, just don't no blood pouring though. That's probably not Disney approved. Maybe what? like a, oh sorry. No, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Uh, maybe like a market, like the hmm. you you'd want to show like the the backways where Psyche would go when when she did encounter the people and heal them, right? Uh, and then freak them out. Yeah. And then maybe in the background, the mountain. You just yeah. go visit the the mountain. Maybe yeah. you might see the god of the mountain there. Who yeah, knows? or or the shadow brute, right? Yeah, or the like, shadow brute. Like yeah. in that, like in the Norwegian ride with the trolls. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Norwegian ride with the trolls. Yes. Yeah. Have you never? Yeah. Have you never? Oh, I've never been, been to Epcot. <gasps> She's I've from the West Coast. Oh, the West okay, Coast. okay, okay. Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. Oh, I was thinking of the the Matterhorn and the Abominable Snowman. I don't know. There are trolls oh. on the Norwegian ride. Yes, there are. Yeah, yes, there are. are. It's a very it's a very dated ride. <laughs> oh, but it's yeah. There there are lovely animatronic trolls on the on the like Norwegian. troll hunter trolls or like kind of like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like a it's a water ride technically, right? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. A little, it's a little log, and you like log thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah what kind? Uh, well, okay. So two, two, two final follow up questions to that. What about <laughs> what type of riots? <laughs> what about rides and what about cuisine? Oh, oh gosh, oh. Hmm. cuisine seems not important. I I yeah. get the sense of a lot of wine. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. maybe a wine bar. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Gloomish wine. 
Right, right. You could do like um, like a like a Thunder Mountain Railroad, but it's on the mountain. You could, you could do like one of those. Right, and then the God of the Mountain comes up, and the mountain suddenly splits. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like rolling. <laughs> you're rolling around you. Splash Mountain, and then it's because <laughs> yeah. you're like in the because then no river. because because then the rains come yeah. because we sacrifice oh. Psyche. So also. then the rains come and it turns into a water ride. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah. yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, Disney, email us. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Visit Gloam. Yeah. yeah. Visit Gloam. And it would be like combined with like a, a movie too, right? Where you'd like right. see the light turn on and then the other light turn on and then suddenly, yeah. There, there's the yeah. God of the Mountain. You go backwards. like in There's the... this terrible weeping. You're like, oh, dear Lord, what is that sound? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. And then you go backwards. And that's when it turns into a water ride. So it's yep. like we're, we're combining Thunder Mountain Railroad, Splash Mountain, and uh, a rock and roller coaster from um, MGM. It's in MGM, right? Yeah. And that's where that is. You go backwards. Yeah. yeah. I have no idea. It's like zero to 60 and you go backwards. I hate roller coasters for the record, but I know all about them because my brother is obsessed with them. And so, oh. <laughs> yeah. No, I hate roller coasters though. So I would not ride any of the, I would not ride the mountain ride. We could, well, for you, then we could do um, a, a lion hunt ride. That's okay. sort of like Mr. Like Toad's a, wild yeah. ride. Or, or like, like a, where you sit and it just like takes you in a car around it. Yeah. 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 Or like, a, like a, they have the whole safari thing at, at Animal Kingdom. Like it's, you know, you just get in a truck and you ride around. I mean, there are real animals that you look at, but yeah, to have some real lions there. Yeah. and some dogs but not no none of the dogs get harmed though even though one of he lost one of them in the lion hunt yeah. that's very sad for, for yeah i think for gloom we would have to see all right well n- next week we will be discussing another poem by the inklings i'm not sure if that will be one of the taliesin poems or one of the other poems by inklings and inklings adjacent poets Ooh, so Inklings adjacent. Stay poets. tuned. That sounds fun. Um, so uh, feel free to send us ideas, suggestions for for poems you'd like to see. And uh, yeah, it is great to have the band back together. Yay! Um, Yay! Uh, Megan, a very happy homecoming um, to you, and a happy birthday. Um, uh, okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's uh, the birthday week now. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And readers or listeners, thank you for joining us. And until next time, queen it with the best of them. <laughs> All right. Why is this still recording? I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to stop it. I'm trying to stop it. All right, here you go. The cicadas Uh, are coming, guys, and it's really not great, but it's okay. We're going to get through it. Yeah. uh, We we don't really have cicadas in Georgia. Um, No, we have mosquitoes. That is true. We have a lot of of mosquitoes and other critters, as we say, down here. Yeah, the cicadas aren't, like, terrifying or 
mean or anything. It's just that there are lots of dead bodies and dead shells that you have to get off your porch or off the mm. slab. It's just kind of gross, but. I feel like, like I, rem- I remember, because I grew up in the area around DC. I grew up in Virginia. It's, it always seemed to me like, and maybe this is just something that happens with most of these sorts of milestones. Like it, it always seemed to me like every few years, there were cicadas and they, everybody would be like, Oh yeah, this only happens like once every 20 years or something <laughs> like that. I'm like We just had these like three or four years ago, but I must be the only one remembering that. Um, and maybe it's like some I, parallel universe. I that do I remember. In. Well, two things. I think there are different broods and like, this is supposed to be the year of like brood X, which is more numerous supposedly. Okay. I do remember a brood in 2005 um, and another in like 2012 or 2013 where people were talking about it all the time, but it didn't seem as bad. I just remember hearing a lot of cicadas in the trees. This yeah. Cool night. Yeah. 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 But this time they're like, it's like the walking dead, except insect version. There are like just dead cicadas everywhere littering the yeah. streets. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really is dependent on the trees near you, I think. Um, I will say the birds are really happy and, and really loud. Um, they're very excited about cicada season. So that's been, that's been a fun sort of byproduct. But yeah, cicada time. It's a good year to be a bird uh, or a cicada. Uh, we have these birds at our, at our house. Um, who are very annoying um, and who think that they have the right to, they've got like squatters rights to build a nest in our porch. Mm-hmm. Uh, All birds too. All birds yeah. too. Yeah. We yeah. had one who uh, built a nest in our wreath on our door. Oh yeah. They have since abandoned like it though. I, I, they figured out, I think that the door opens too often. And so yeah. they, I think they moved on, but yeah, we had one in there. Yeah. We had a pair of morning doves uh, on our porch and my cat, bless her heart, uh, ate their eggs and then Good. they left. Good yeah. for her. Good for her. Well, I felt terrible. I would like, oh. I tried to get her away. Like I saw her doing it and like attacking yeah. the bird and I couldn't save them. Oh. Good. Yeah. At, at this point, I'm at, I'm at a place where I kind of, <laughs> I think of birds as more or less like flying, <sighs> flying rodents. Um, no, like, do not they're, think they're, that. Like, pests. Um, oh, it, but it, you're not quite like Alfred Hitchcock level with birds. You're not like Tippi Hedren <laughs> okay. running, so, running down the road. I don't right? know if we've talked about this on this podcast or not. Um, and I'm, I'm loath to tip my hand to any potential enemies that might be listening but i actually have like a pathological fear of birds oh i didn't know that yeah it's bizarre Um, uh, i actually will like i'm not bothered by like a bird sitting over there in a tree or something like that you know but if they like get close to me Mm -hmm. um Mm. and it doesn't matter like if they're little if they're big or, or whatever like just like the flappiness of their wings something about it um just really like it, it strikes this weird nerve and i just i have this weird phobia about it i'm not that way with mice i'm not that way with roaches i'm not that way with you know any of these other things but birds for whatever reason just freak me out um 
it's uh it's very strange. well you know i really i wish you hadn't said that to all your enemies i know because uh, you know night deacon makes a lot of enemies and they target her friends so <laughs> i'm know. i'm worried for you chris <laughs> i I, I I love birds, so okay. we're, I guess we can't be friends. No, no I'm just kidding. We can, we can be friends. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I just won't bring any birds near you. Yeah, don't. <laughs> um, we did we did have a uh, bird fly in the house this mm. past uh, um, this past year, the COVID year, and I was very brave. Um, <laughs> Yay! I, I ran at it with a broom. Um, oh wow! Uh, and got it to fly back out, so that was a, that was a victory. Um, uh, but yeah, we had so we had these swallows nesting in our porch um, over COVID times um, last last early summer, and then like it was kind of sweet at first, right? Like the eggs hatched and. They oh, raised little yeah. baby birds. We looked out there and we're like, oh, that's that's kind of cute. That's kind of sweet, blah, blah, blah. Um, but we could never go out and sit on our porch <laughs> because these swallows would always dive at us, you mm. know, and they just get freaked out by us, right? Um, and so oh. then finally, you know, we watched them teach their little fledglings how to fly and all the fledglings went out and it was very sweet and everything. And then they came back to the nest and they hatched a whole new brood of eggs. Uh, <laughs> so we, we repeated the process again into like early fall. Uh, and we started. The birth rate's falling. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And yeah. like bird crap all over our porch. Uh, <laughs> and it's just a mess. So, um, so this year we were like, never again. We will not let those birds, uh, you know, nest. So we put like cardboard boxes up in the places mm-hmm. above the pillars mm-hmm. where they could nest um and uh yeah you gotta defend your borders but yeah. we would hear all, like all this like frenzied chirping out there and it's like the two <laughs> swallows like like arguing or something about the fact that like well the, <laughs> the place was here before <laughs> it's gone uh so uh so yeah now now they just like occasionally will come and sit on our light and poop on it um and uh and then fly away so that's our I appreciate I think we've found your enemies Chris I think your enemies are (laughs) are the swallows (laughs) this pair of swallows who communicate to you how they feel about that hostile action you took against Mm -hmm. um, what they were trying to claim as their own by adverse possession so yeah well they're among my enemies um, but they're (laughs) they're not the smartest ones uh, is that is that a long list, Chris? Or I hope not. I sure hope not. <laughs> okay. um, all right. Well, speaking of enemies, um, <laughs> Oriole. <laughs> Great transition. Uh, all blessed encounter, full of joy, unscheduled on the decent plan, with here an addict of Tolkien, there a Charles Williams stand. <laughs>